Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research into practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Welcome to episode 9 of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. So I took a month off from podcasting. I didn't exactly plan for it to be that way, but that's just how it ended up. So welcome to a new year and a fresh start with those readers of yours. Today's episode is really exciting. I'm welcoming back to the show Dr. Margaret Vaughn, and we are talking about student perceptions of their own agency and one method of measuring it, the student agency profile. The student agency profile is a survey that Dr. Vaughn created with some of her uh, colleagues that helps student, helps you understand how students see themselves within your classrooms and their persistence and their opportunities to make choices and how they see themselves as readers, among a few other things. It's a very interesting conversation about what goes in to actually make a survey, but how the survey can be used in your classroom. Dr. Margaret Vaughn is an Associate Professor of Literacy at the University of Idaho and researches in adaptive teaching, which you can go back and check out our episode 8, where we talk about that. It was a fantastic conversation. Teacher visioning and student agency. If you care about how your readers see themselves within your classroom, then there's definitely takeaways in this episode for you. So enjoy the show and stick around after for my two cents. Dr. Margaret Vaughn, welcome back to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Thanks, Jake. So in this one, we're talking about um, agency and that you developed a, a scale of survey uh, that you call the student agency profile. Tell us, how did you become interested in student agency? Well, it really stems back to when I was a classroom teacher. And, you know, when you're teaching and you have this great activity or this great lesson, and then you see that your kids are just doing completely opposite, but something even better than you planned. It's very humbling. But what I was so fascinated by was, wow, these kids are just doing the doing this on their own and they're taking this this idea or this direction in their own stance. You know, they're just making it their own. And um, they would just produce the most astonishing things when they did that. And so for me, it stems back when I was a first grade teacher, just all the way back when I was practicing as a classroom teacher. It was something that was happening that I was just so fascinated by. And then when I started to, when I started my doctoral program, what I realized was that was what scholars and researchers had called was agency. And so that was really something that sort of just made this huge connection with me from when I was a classroom teacher and then in my work. So what is student agency and why does it matter? So um, I love that you just said that because um, I'm working, I'm editing an issue of theory into practice, and that's exactly the, the first chapter that I, the first article is what is student agency and why does it matter? And so that should be forthcoming next year. Um, and so we've got some great scholars that are, have written in that, that issue. Um, but it, technically I would think the term is, is not, it is the term, um, the ability of individual students to influence and to create opportunities in the learning context their intentions, decisions, and actions. So that's the academic um, 
definition that I've, that has been developed in my research. What does previous research tell us about student agency? So it's connected to one's disposition, right? It's also connected to one's motivation and then also how they're positioned in the classroom. So there's a, a piece that I wrote for Phi Delta Kappen that really explores those dimensions and, and how they connect with agency. So what previous literature has said on that connects to um, what it is. And in the, this, the reading teacher piece that we're talking about, I was able to make the theoretical connection that it's really, because sometimes people would say, well, isn't that just motivation that you're talking about? Or isn't that just, let's say, self-regulation? Or yeah, no, that's not, you're just talking about something different. And so what I've reasoned is that actually agency works across all of those dimensions, right? It's not just about one's motivation. It's not just about how one thinks about themselves or or those two, right? It's connected across those two, but then also how kids are positioned in the classroom or how they position themselves in the classroom. So it's almost like that di that relationship with teachers as well, right? And their their relationship there as well. But you developed a, a survey called the Student Agency Profile. And, and for our listeners, we don't need to get all the way into the weeds of what it takes to create a survey, but it's not just a matter of here I'm going to write 15 questions and put some smiley faces on it and, and voila. Can you tell us a bit about the process of, of what it took to develop the student agency profile? Well, it took a lot of time and a lot of learning on my part because it was the first uh, survey I've ever developed. But um, it, I mean, it took, first of all, just the years of experience of as a classroom teacher, but then also tons of reading and, and understanding and interviewing lots of kids, lots of teachers. I really tried to see if the questions made sense. So there were tons of pilot rounds before I even actually created the survey to see, can kids really even talk about this? You know, what is it that they can tell us about it? And I knew from research like Ann Dyson, Ann Hess Dyson, that her, in her important work that kids can tell us so much information about what they're doing and how they're doing and why they're doing it. And so I was very confident in the fact that they could, but at every turn, you know, senior researchers or scholars would say, yeah, you can't really measure that. That's not something you can measure or, yeah, what is that? What are you talking about? You're just talking about motivation. And so it took a long time to do the research and a lot of the learning to figure out if this is something that could be examined. And so um, once I got to that point, then I did several rounds of pilot um, surveys, which were different um, versions of the survey until I could figure out mathematically if they actually worked. And so when they actually worked mathematically, then it was an okay survey to share out with the world. And with the mathematically, there's you do you have to have some items that you pull out because their correlation isn't high enough, and then some you have to exactly. add in. And yeah. Um, yeah. Learned a little bit about that and it was it kind of blew my mind. With... Yeah, so for instance, like per self-perception was is one of the constructs and um I had had reading and writing as one construct, but then what we realized is that they worked better mathematically separate. So self-perception as readers and then self-perception as writers, we were able to get that mathematically and it didn't kind of alter or degrade kind of the concept or the construct of what we we're trying to do, but they just fit better as separate constructs. In short, there's a lot of science yeah. that goes yeah. into it. Uh, can you give us a few quest sample questions of what's on the student agency profile and a little bit more details about what it looks like? Sure. Okay. So it, it goes around those constructs that I was just saying. So constructs are sort of like the theoretical underpinnings of why, you know, which of the, what, what the questions are based on. 
So it's self-perception as readers, as writers, intentionality, choice-making, persistence, and interactiveness. And so one of the questions that, you know, it asks kind of what kind of reader are you? Um, I have this survey in front of me right here. So let's see. Um, it's okay for me. Is it, it is okay for me to have my own ideas when I read. I read better than other students in the class. I am a good writer. Writer is, writing is easy for me. So those are just some of the sample questions in the survey. Then there's, um, at the Likert scale, so there's smiley faces. They can circle the big smiley face or kind of the flat face or the frowny face. And it's really nice because teachers can have, um, there's a scoring sheet in the article as well. And so you can copy this and give it to your classroom, classroom teachers, and then you can score it and say, wow, most of my kids think that they don't have any decision-making power in the class. And then it's a great way for you as a classroom teacher to say, what can I do? Like, what are some ways that I can model to them or help them? I mean, it's definitely a formative tool, right? We wanna, I want teachers to use this and say, you know, there's about maybe a third of my students who think they're not good readers. What can I do to support their confidence, their self-confidence in reading or in writing? They feel like they don't have any decision making. So what maybe I can, what, what can I do? Maybe I can incorporate again writer's workshop, right? Where I model to them how writers make decisions and they, you know, or I can use specific picture books, right? Like I have an idea or, um, you know, I think there's a new book called Persistence about kind of how women, girls have persisted, right? So, I mean, I think there's, there's tons of ways where you can model some of the question, you know, dimensions of the questions that kids are not getting high scores on. Excellent. So can you walk us through how, uh, I guess, kind of how that whole sequence would work that how many, so you could do the minister at the beginning of the year and then perhaps a few other ideas. You've already provided some great examples, but a few other ideas on how, you know, the teacher could adapt. Right? That sounds familiar, right? How the teacher could adapt to meet that. And then would you, you know, do a follow up in a month or three times yeah. a year or, or just how, what, what would it look like in a classroom? Yeah. So the survey itself takes about seven minutes. And so you can kind of administer it a couple of different ways. So with older students, when we use them in our sample from third through fifth grade, they can handle that definitely um, whole class. You know, you explain to them with the practice questions. Um, but for younger students, we find it works a little bit better with small group. So I'd say much like a guided reading group, like for first and second graders, you can pull them off um, and have them in a group and work with them as well. Um, what I recommend is doing it at the beginning, like I would say like in August or September when you start and then around Christmas. And then for kids that are really below benchmarks, I would try to visit a little bit more frequently. I wouldn't do it with every student, right? Every couple, you know, like if you do it in September, I wouldn't necessarily, um, or August rather, I wouldn't, I would do it with maybe the kids that were fairly low in some of the dimensions, let's say maybe in October if you've had specific time to kind of do some explicit interventions. Um, so I think any way that you would use, um, you know, a, a plan to kind of, um, you know, add explicit instruction to kind of support them. But yeah, I think that the timing it out, but, and then I would do it again at the end of the year. I would think that would be good. And the hope is that really the, one of the main reasons and why I, um, I think a tool like this, I think, is also just so important, but so many, like in our district here, Fridays, every Friday afternoons, teachers have two hours off, like in the afternoon, and they don't have it off. They have these data meetings, right? So they have to sit and talk about the data, 
you know, for two hours every Friday. Kids go home and the teachers are in these, these I think, these brutal data meetings. And so part of my rationale I put in the paper was, wouldn't it be exciting if these kinds of tools, like the student agency profile, could be used in some of those data meetings, right, to say, wow, in my class, this is the portrait of my kids, right? Most of my kids think that they're good readers. Some of the kids think that they're not such good writers or vice versa. And these are the tools or these are the, the interventions I'm going to do to try to increase that. And so I kept getting excited at this idea that maybe this can be a tool that teachers can use in those brutal data meetings to kind of show some of the things that maybe standardized scores don't necessarily show us. That could really give some depth to rather than just a one-dimensional, here's here, yeah. here's the score, here's the score, but what's the story of, of my classroom? Yeah. Uh, that's very and interesting. I really encourage teachers to do that because I think that teachers are the best researchers, I think, because they have, they have an intuitive sense. I mean, they, you know, they document, they do interventions, they do all of these things, even beyond RTI, right? Even kids who aren't in the, that component of it. They're continually documenting and, and, and observing and reflecting, and I think, um, this kind of tool, I think, is sort of just another informative tool that can help them. And so I wish I had it as a classroom teacher because it would have been able, it would have been a good process for me to, one of the things they were trying to do before I left the classroom was that they were trying to move all of the first grade classrooms around. So they were basically trying to track kids. So all the low kids were going to go to this classroom for reading. All the high kids were going to go to this classroom for reading, and I was so disturbed by that because I knew that that was going to further diminish kids' identities as readers. They're going to think, "Gosh, I'm I'm always going to be the bluebird group. I'm always going to be in the the lowest group, right?" And so um, I think if an instrument like this had been there, what I could have done was to support more different different kinds of conversations with my principal that said, "You know." This is something we really need to pay attention to. These are some of the things that we need to really look at. How would you respond to the teacher or principal that says, I don't have time to really look at this. I have my curriculum that's been given to me and I need to teach it. And I've already, you know, my day is already just busy. And how do I, why, why do I need to make time for this one more thing in front of all the other one more things that are in line? Sure. And, you know, and sampling with, um, over about 1800 kids, that's definitely a conversation I've had to have. <laughs> and so, um, and what I would argue is that, you know, if you know, if you know exactly what kind of readers your kids think they are, if you know exactly what kind of writers you think your kids think you are, if you know how kids are thinking about you as a classroom teacher and their decision-making power, then I would argue then you might not need it. But I never knew that. And I felt as though I had a great relationship with all the kids that I had in my class, right? You know, we talked, you know, it was a very, um, you know, I always throughout the years, I just felt like I could always talk to students, but I still never really had a sense as to what they thought. And I think that's a big thing that we want to think about with all of these assessments that are on kids, right? Like, we are always looking, you know, it's never about what, you know, and it, it's so frustrating, right? We never really ask kids, what do you think? And I think they're a missing voice in this research and the, and, the, and the work that's happening, just as much as I think teachers' voices are missing. And so I think you're right, you might not have time. Find the time, because I think what other assessment tool do you have that actually gets at what kids are thinking beyond their skills and their knowledge content, right? 
I think that that's something and I'm pushing for that. I'm trying to do this more widespread so that, you know, it's not a very time consuming instrument. It takes about seven minutes and, but the kind of information it will yield is the kind of information that actually could inform a student assessment. And that's another thing. So I have another paper that where we've tracked these kids um, in terms of, we've done the student agency profile now for three years. And what we found is actually their literacy achievement scores. If they have a higher agency score, they have a higher student standard assessment score in literacy instruction. So I think that that's really exciting, right? And you could make the case, and what I make the case to principals now is that actually you could link this up, right? If kids are having higher agency, there's research now that shows that kids with higher agency have higher standardized assessment scores. And so I think that's kind of also the other avenue that I go in terms of in case the first argument doesn't work, I say, well, actually it, do, it is connected to better standardized achievement. And I think that's always a hook then. It's like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is something we could or should do professional development on if this is gonna increase standardized test scores. So then in that case, I could almost see it being used as part of the TI process. I have a student who I've screened, I've yeah. designed interventions for, they're not responding to the interventions. Oh, wow, their agency in this area is, is very low. Perhaps that's another, you know, we're still providing our high quality instructional interventions, but is there an agentic uh, intervention or support that I can provide there too to help get at all angles? Yeah, and I think that's exciting. And one of the things I'm doing now with a group of colleagues is we're doing um, picture book reviews on how books support kids agency. And so we've looked across several picture books and we're trying to figure out, you know, so if you are a classroom teacher where you wanna do read alouds, maybe these particular books might be really helpful in discussions about agency. And so really, I think that that can be super helpful to model to kids as well, because it's abstract. I mean, if you ask a kid what agency is, they're gonna say what, but if you ask them, what do you think about your ability as a reader? Or if you think, you know, what kind of reader do you think you are? Or does a teacher listen when you offer your opinion about things? And I think they're able to answer that, right, in a, in a scale form. So if a teacher doesn't have access to the reading teacher article, how can they access your student agency profile in the school? They sport? can email me and I will happily share that with them. Um, um, that's that's the one thing I said is have them email me. Um, they can also um, um, your library, your the librarian at your school. I remember when I was a classroom teacher, they had uh, professional journals. Try to advocate for them to get the reading teacher, and then once you have that subscription, you can get that. Um, pu the public library may have it. Also, a university library if you're connected in a city where there is a um, you know there is a university. You can for sure, I'm sure, get it in that avenue as well, or just email me and I'll gladly send you the PDF. Because of copyright, I can't just sort of put it out there. Yeah. Um, but if you email me, I'm so happy to do that. And I'd be more than, I'd love to work with you if you need some help and guidance on it, or I can just send it to you, um, you know, with no questions asked, whatever you need. I just want it to be used. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. Okay. Well, thank you very much. A great big thanks to Dr. Margaret Vaughn for joining us on the show today.
For my two cents, uh, it's really just one cent, but one longer cent. For lack of a better term, I want to talk a little bit about the ecosystem of reading. The quality of reading instruction that students receive matters, and it absolutely matters, and I don't want to discount for a second that it matters, because it does. But I do want to point out that it's not the only thing that matters, and anyone that has spent any time in front of a classroom of students really knows that. So things like student agency, like what we talked about with Dr. Vaughn, also matter, and we can't exactly ignore that if we want our students to achieve their highest potential. Sometimes, however, we can feel that quality, rigorous, systematic instruction and our opportunity to provide students choices within our classroom can be at odds with each other. So just for illustration purposes, let me highlight two opposing ends of a spectrum. And I know it's more complicated than how I'm going to explain it. This is an oversimplification, but I think it helps highlight the point I'm trying to make here. So on the one hand, if all a teacher ever did was work on supporting student agency and reading, but never really attended to delivering systematic, rigorous instruction, then sure, those students would feel great about themselves as readers, but could they actually read? And then on the opposite side of that spectrum, if all a teacher focuses on is intense, rigorous instruction with complete disregard for student agency, then sure, the kid can read, but will they ever want to? Has that system developed a student who is illiterate, a student who is capable to read, but who chooses not to? So this isn't a news flash to anyone in the classroom, but to use an old idiom, we have to find ways to have our cake and eat it too. What I mean by that is that delivering high-quality instruction does not need to be at odds with developing the agency of our students. And indeed, according to our conversation with Dr. Vaughn, that higher agency is correlated with higher reading achievement. So uh, we need to attend to both pieces of the puzzle, that if we want our students to have higher agency or see themselves as more agentic, then we need to support their uh, ability as readers, and then if we want to help support their abilities as readers, we need to support their perceptions of, the, of themselves as readers. So we know that there's more to the puzzle than a quality instruction, and again, that's a huge piece of the puzzle, but in this conversation we're saying there's more than just quality instruction that matters. But you will likely never see policy or legislation that emphasizes student agency. It probably won't ever be accounted for in your high-stakes testing, so it can be easy for us as educators to lose sight of things like student agency, like teacher adaptations, in the grind of trying to produce good scores. So it takes a savvy teacher who can know how to have their cake and eat it too, who is savvy enough to meet the district or the school or the state benchmark goal while also supporting students and helping themselves see that they are readers if we can do that, if we can both produce great readers and help readers see themselves as great readers, then we've done a fine job at, at teaching. And that's a tall order. That's part of the purpose of this podcast is to 
help give you the tools or help you give you the direction of what you need to become a better literacy educator, uh, help me become a better literacy educator with my students. But the end goal is, is we need to have our cake and eat it too. We have to find ways to support these things in the ecosystem of reading that will never be, you know, in a curriculum, will never be legislated, but really still matter to the reading puzzle that we're trying to put together for our students. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We have another great episode coming up, so tune in next time on the Teaching Literacy Podcast. And until next time, let's go and teach reading just a little bit better. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.